Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Today's scripture reading is Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 7. Again, if you're following in your Bible, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 7. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. And then you shall see and be radiant, for your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nation shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you and the rams of Nebioth shall minister to you and they shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another day where we get to be with one another. We get to hear from your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that something powerful and amazing would happen this morning. You would surprise us by your love and your light and your hope. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we are in Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, this is the, the third message in our series, The King Has Come, and today's subject is Light Has Come. My name is Joe, one of the pastors here. Um, if I haven't met you, I hope to, to meet you before the morning's over. If you're watching online, uh, please reach out to us so we can know um, who you are and, and definitely want you to know that we, we know it's hard to stay at home, and many of you are doing it for health reasons, and so my prayer, even as I've been praying and preparing, is that you would be particularly encouraged if you're watching at home this morning. So it's Isaiah 60, so if you have a Bible, you can mark it there. To set this up a little bit, I want you to just think about movies for a second. So we're going to go to the movie theater, and um, I don't know if you've, you've considered this much, but um, oftentimes movie directors will use sharp contrasts of scenes colors, sounds, temperatures to really set the mood and tone for the storyline of the movie. I once watched a interview by George Lucas, the, the writer of Star Wars that all of you should know, most of you do know. Um, and if you think about like, for example, um, episode six, The Return of the Jedi, which was a big deal when I was little. Um, picture the, the Ewok village on the, the moon of Endor, is that right, Sean? 
Thank you, did my homework. And um, so picture how lush and green and cheerful and happy, particularly at the end of the movie, the celebration, the music, the feasting, and the bright colors and somewhat warm climate. Then picture the Imperial ship and Darth Vader and all his minions up in space in cold, dark places. Well, the purpose that George Lucas is trying to accomplish there is he wants to show the contrast between the good and the bad. And that effect, that skill, that strategy is nothing new. In fact, the the prophet Isaiah actually uses a very similar strategy and technique in the writing of Isaiah. Now, when he's writing, it's a, a true story. Star Wars is a not true story that is fun to watch. But in Isaiah, he's going to contrast something really bad with something really good. And in order to really appreciate the really good, we really have to experience the darkness that is in Isaiah chapter 59. So before Isaiah 60, the passage we just heard read, happens and is said by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 59 is their present reality. So I'm going to read two verses from Isaiah 59. I'm going to read them twice. The first time, I just want you to listen as I read, and then the second time, I'm going to have you do something as I read. But this was what the original recipients of Isaiah's prophecy were experiencing as he prophesied and as he wrote the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 59, 9 through 10. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. Merry Christmas. (laughs) So here's what I want you to do now, if you're comfortable. And you watch online, you can do this too. I want you to close your eyes. Shut them tight while I read this again. And as you close your eyes, I want you to imagine that the temperature in this room or in your home right now is dropping from a comfortable temperature to about 15 degrees. And I want you to imagine that we're, we're not under shelter anymore. We're out in a barren wilderness and wind is howling and it's, it's whipping up 30 miles per hour. So keep your eyes closed as I read. Therefore... Justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. You may open your eyes. But imagine, not only were were your eyes shut and physically dark, but spiritually that was their reality. Mostly because of the consequence of their sinful choices. They had experienced hardship 
Isaiah prophesied more hardship was coming. But spiritually speaking, their life was a barren darkness that went on not just for days or weeks, but months and years. And that was their reality. Maybe for some of you, that is your present reality. There is a sadness, a lostness, a hopelessness that that you can identify even with those words of groping in the darkness, trying to find your way, but unable to, and sadness and gloom is upon you. Well, this morning, we're going to hear these incredible words from Isaiah as he proclaims that light is going to penetrate the darkness. Joy is going to invade the sorrow and the sadness. And the, the big idea today is that the light of the Lord brings hope to those in darkness. The light of the Lord brings hope to those in darkness. First point from Isaiah 61 and 2. The light has come amidst darkness and gloom. So we've just read that dark scene. Into that dark scene, Isaiah says this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Arise, look, await, light is going to break through into this darkness. Now the original recipients, imagine if you were them. There was no hope. There was no hope on the horizon. And to know that something drastic is going to happen that's going to change everything. And it's going to break through into their barren, dark reality. Well, if you've ever tried to read Isaiah or any of the prophets in your Bible reading program, maybe some of you are going to start one in January. We would, as your pastors, encourage you to do that. I um, try to do one every year. Well, sometimes when you're reading, um, particularly the Old Testament prophets, it can get a little confusing of, are they speaking to the original people? Are they speaking to Jesus? Are they speaking to things that have not yet happened? And I remember years ago, Steve Murphy, one of my first pastors, I I imagine I was asking him questions or he was teaching a class on this, I can't remember what, but he explained a really helpful way to understand um, Old Testament prophets. He said, imagine they're like mountain ranges. So picture mountain ranges, whatever, the Rocky Mountains, picture a scene where you can see peak after peak, range after range. And if you're looking at it from a distance, it looks like they're on top of each other. Looks like they're very close to one another. And so from a certain vantage point, it's like there's the Rocky Mountains and they look like they're on top of each other, side by side. But if we all got our our hiking gear on and began to traverse up and down each mountain range, we would quickly discover that they are actually pretty far apart from one another and miles at times. And Keep that image in your mind because when you read um, Isaiah or Jeremiah, oftentimes they are talking about things that are like mountain ranges kind of stacked against each other. Some are for the present day people that he's writing to. Some are, are all centered around Jesus. Some are for a future day 
when Jesus, the light of the world, will return triumphantly. So just to get your bearings a little bit, picture these mountain ranges. First range is the present failure and misery of the original recipients. Not a real happy mountain range. Picture a gloomy, dark mountain range. The second one, which was the immediate fulfillment, is when God's people eventually return from Babylonian captivity and the temple is rebuilt. And so it's a a mountain range that, that gives them a glimmer of hope. But if you are familiar with what happens in the Bible after that happens, you see that that can't be the ultimate answer. And it leaves God's people unsatisfied. So there's another mountain range, which is this eternal covenant that Jeremiah promised and that Isaiah in chapter 59 verse 21 promises that really culminates in the light of the world, Jesus coming to earth. But then there's a mountain range that's way off in the distance, even for us from our current present spot. It's the mountain range where Jesus, the King, the light of the world, will one day return. And all will be made right. Well, in this um, seven verses, he's going to be talking about different parts of these mountain ranges. And, and we're going to see they, they look together, but we're going to pull them apart a little bit because they're intended, if we rightly understand them, to really give us courage and encouragement and hope. But obviously for Christmas, one of the, the, the pinnacle mountain ranges that we want to focus on is the light has come into the world. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth. So that's the first thing we're going to look at and we're going to think about. See, the ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah 60 happens when Jesus returns. But we're kind of in that in-between time. So let's, let's listen to what the author of Hebrews says. He's going to connect some dots for us. This is in uh, chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure it, endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. What he's talking about there is when the the Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai, and Moses is up speaking to God, and God's giving him his law. And one of the things that God says through Moses is, tell the people, don't even... Don't even come to the edge of this mountain. Because of my holiness and their sinfulness, they will surely die. It's not good news. Verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, this is all of us who have trusted in Jesus, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, 
the light of the world, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, because Jesus came to earth, because the light of the world broke through into darkness, and Jesus grew up and resisted sin and temptation in every way, and eventually died as a substitute for our sins, taking that wrath of God that was even displayed on Mount Sinai upon himself, so that everybody that turns from their sins and trusts in Jesus will be forgiven, washed, and welcomed always into his presence. See, that's the light of the world that Isaiah is prophesying about. Pastor Ray Ortland Jr. says this in his commentary on Isaiah, on the book of Isaiah, particularly uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 60. The New Testament tells us that through conversion to Christ, we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We've joined a spiritual culture that will remake the world. Isaiah 60 has nothing to do with the city of Jerusalem or the modern state of Israel, but it has everything to do with the new Jerusalem, the spiritual Israel, that the whole world will become and we eventually see in Revelation 21. So as you're picturing these mountain ranges, for a moment I want to draw our attention to the furthest out mountain range and the effect this is intended to have as we read God's word and the Holy Spirit makes things alive in our hearts and minds is that we, we have a fresh sense of hope and joy and peace. So we're going to travel and I want us to start where we are today and we want to go to that, that furthest range out. So we're going to travel. Think about what we're leaving behind as we make this quick trip. We're going to travel to a future where COVID-19 in all its variants does not exist. It's over. It's gone. It's a distant memory. We're going to travel to a place where political unrest is over. It's gone. We're going to travel to a place where there are not any international threats towards one another. We're going to travel to a place where all inward sin and strife and temptations is gone forever. We're going to travel to a place where the pressures of this week of Christmas and meals and gifts and expenses and all of that will be long gone. We're going to travel to a place where all relational strife is over. It's gone. See, we're going to travel to a place that if you have trusted in Jesus, you will surely be at that place. You will make it to that final mountain range. Not because you're good enough, not because you're faithful enough, but because when you were born again, when you turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, Jesus, the light of the world, became your good shepherd. And he promises he will not lose one of his children. We will all make it. So let's, let's just catch a quick glimpse and vision of this final mountain range. Revelation 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. 
And the city has no need of a sun or moon or electricity to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus, the light of the world, is its lamp. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That day, that place, if you have trusted in Jesus, you will be there. And we will see the risen, exalted, triumphant light of the world. So radiant that no sun is needed, no moon is needed to reflect It's like no electricity is needed to light the room. Jesus, in all his glorious, radiant beauty, will be the center and the light. And unlike Solomon's temple or the rebuilt temple, the materials of the New Jerusalem are not going to be building materials. They're going to be people. The Bible says in the New Testament they're going to be living stones. That's you and I who know Jesus. We are part. We are the the place where God dwells. And in the center will be Jesus. And so Isaiah has, he doesn't probably know all this, but through the Holy Spirit, he is writing about all that is to come. In Isaiah 59, verse 20, he says this, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. See, Isaiah says there's a Redeemer coming. You who walk in darkness. There's, there's one who will deliver. There's light. And this light is coming in the form of a person. Fully God, fully man. And actually in the form of an infant. And This is why he he says in verse 61 and 2, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise, arise upon you and His glory will be seen by you. See, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the answer to all the world's problems, to all the ultimate problems that human nature causes and creates. Jesus is the remedy. He is the answer. Over the years, my my family and I, we get to go to Florida quite a bit because my my dad and stepmom live there, and it's beautiful. We go to certain beaches that are beautiful. There's palm trees on the Gulf side. just beautiful. But there hasn't been a time in recent years where I have gone, where at least I have noticed somebody smoking marijuana on the beach kind of right beside us. Like everywhere seems to be in Florida. And I, and I thought, you have this beautiful place that God has made. And you have people that can't enjoy it for what it is. 
And so they're looking to a substance, whether it's alcohol, marijuana, or other drugs, to, to fill and satisfy, as Lynn said, that I think St. Augustine said, that we have a hole in our heart that will never be satisfied. Jesus alone is the only one. And so people are in these beautiful locations and not able to actually just enjoy them without the, the help of a substance. And I'm not judging those people. I was those people. Before I met Jesus, I went to all kinds of substances for satisfaction. I would have been like Isaiah is describing. I felt like I was just walking in absolute spiritual darkness. And so when the light invades that reality, it is not just theoretical. When you encounter Jesus, the light of the world, it should change everything about you that there is a savior who came to redeem and to rescue see when isaiah is writing it's still a long way off from when jesus would even come and yet the people believed it and it gave them hope so it would have helped them but but i often think about it this way i really enjoy Pennsylvania, because I, I like all the different seasons, but if I had to pick one, I like the warm weather seasons the best. And I like heat. I like 85 degrees, humidity, something doesn't work in my brain. I, I just like it. I like running in heat. I like swimming in heat. I like going fishing. Um, I like going to the pool. All of those things. And we know, as I said a few weeks ago, we know that in Pennsylvania, we go up and down, sometime in the same week, sometime in the same day of temperatures fall and rise and sun comes out and then it disappears for a long period of time. So we know that at least by summer there will be warm, sunny days. And that, that can give us hope if we don't like this weather that we're presently in, which has been surprisingly mild. However, what really gives you hope if you like warm weather in Pennsylvania is that first flower that sprouts out of the ground in springtime. Like, oh, it's really happening. It's not just a distant hope. It's actually a reality, and I have proof in my front yard that warm weather is here, and birds are singing, and they're eating worms, and they're, they're starting to enjoy the things. Well, think about Isaiah's prophecy this way, that for the original recipients, it was a promise that they believed it, but it was out there far. But then for the people that lived in Jesus' day, it was like the first flower that came out of the ground. Oh no, he's really here. He really has arrived. He really died as a substitute. And he, he really didn't stay in the grave. He actually appeared to hundreds of people as the risen Christ. Now we know and they knew that that doesn't mean all of our problems go away. All the brokenness of this world suddenly disappeared when Jesus ascended. No, it continues up until the day where Jesus returns. But we have a real fixed moment where the flowers have come out of the ground and there is real radiant hope for God's people. And so we, as God's people, need to Quit looking at all the brokenness more than we're looking at the light of the world who has come and who will one day return. 
I don't know if you caught this when Lynn was reading the passage, but the, the tail end of our passage today is actually fulfilled in the book of Matthew. Uh, this is in Matthew 2. You might know this as the three wise men, but look in every Bible and every translation, the number three is not there. Um, so for Christmas trivia questions, I just helped you out. How many wise men were there? We do not know. They had three gifts, but we don't know how many there were. So after listening to the king, they went on their way. And this was King Herod. He was evil. He was a wicked man. Behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary. Um, most commentators believe that the child was no longer a baby. He was a toddler, probably, Jesus. So they, they got to interact with toddler Jesus, Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So these wise men, not Jewish men, fall at the sight of Jesus. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, the light of the world had come and they came bearing gifts. And if you study these gifts, many people believe that those gifts were the very means by which Mary and Joseph could flee from Herod and take Jesus to Egypt for a while because of the wicked deeds that Herod was about to do. And so God will always preserve and protect his plan. So the baby Jesus that the wise men or the toddler Jesus that the wise men went to gave gifts which were used to protect him from Herod's slaughter of newborn and young children under the age of two, that child grew up. And that child grew up fearing the Lord. That child grew up as a teenager, absolutely perfect, resisting sin and temptation in every way. In fact, the Apostle John says this in the Gospel of John. In him was life, this light of the world. Not only does he possess light in himself, he possesses life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know him as John the Baptist. This man, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. There's a light coming. There's a hope that's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy that's coming into the world, that all might believe through him. John, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And we have the advantage of hindsight. He came. The true light of the world came and made a way to reconcile men and women, boys and girls, teenagers to him, all who look to him, turn from their sins, turn from their self-righteousness, and trust in Jesus alone, are given eternal life instantly, forever. And this light we're going to see in Isaiah is when we encounter this light, it's meant to transform us. We should be radiant, in joy and hope 
because we have encountered the light of the world, which is the second and last point. The light of the Lord draws many and makes his people radiant. The light of the Lord draws many and makes his people radiant. I'm just going to read the first uh, verses 3 and 4, or 3, 4, and 5. And the nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried out. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. The big idea here is when God's people encounter the light of the world, we should reflect that encounter. We should be hopeful and hope-filled when the rest of the world is not. And the reason isn't because we're ignoring the reality, the present reality that we find ourselves in. No, it's because our eyes are fixed on that, that final mountain range, that light that will one day return. The one who promises to be with us, the one who promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. That should make us radiant. One of the, the great things about being a pastor in the same church for a while, and even being in this church for about 25 years, going on my 25th year, is the most radiant among us are not those who had the easiest lives. In fact, I would say almost the opposite is true as I think through church members who radiate the love of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, they're not the ones who have had easy lives. They're the ones as life has gotten hard and unimaginably painful at times, they kept turning to the Lord. They kept praying through the Psalms when, when all around them seemed confusing and dark and painful. They, they kept crying out to the Lord. Lord, I want to I know you. I want to follow you. I need your presence right now. And as they have done that year after year after year, they are radiant and vibrant. Not because of their circumstances, but because of the Lord who is the light of the world. I want to connect Isaiah 60 to one of, if not the most famous passage of the Bible, John 3.16. There's a direct connection between Isaiah 60 and John 3.16 and what follows. Look at this connection. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, in Isaiah 59, Isaiah mentions that there's an eternal covenant that's coming. But then it gets more specific. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he, is not, he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment 
The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest he work, his works should be, be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, the light of Jesus does one of two things. It either draws or propels. And at times, there was a time in my life where the light of Jesus and being around Christians, all it did was propel. And the only reason it propelled primarily is because of what John said. I wanted to do evil things. And therefore, I didn't want to be around God and his people. But then the Lord in his kindness convicts and opens our eyes and continues to draw and continues to pursue. And the light no longer feels like an interrogation, but it feels like a warm summer day. And there's something very attractive and very drawing. And there's, there's a pureness and a, and a love that, that you come to see by the Revelation of the Holy Spirit that Jesus really is the answer. He really is the one who satisfies. He really is the one who fills that hole that is empty inside that no substance can fill, no relationship can fill, no job advancement can fill, no amount of dollars in your bank account could fill, no great health could fill, nothing could fill it but Jesus do you remember when you were first drawn to the light of the world, to Jesus himself? Do you remember when you came to an end of yourself? Thought, I couldn't do this. I can't save myself. I can't change myself. I can't clean myself up enough. Do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when you realized that all the world advertises as satisfaction is actually empty? Do you remember when you realize you didn't have to strive anymore for God's favor or love, that you could surrender and trust in this light of the world. Do you remember the first time when you actually believed that Jesus' shed blood cleansed all your shame and guilt and sin, washed it away? I remember when that first happened to me. I remember because I couldn't stop crying or singing, or doing both, because it was real. See, Jesus wants that for all of us, all humanity. He came to seek and save that which is lost. So we're in one of two categories. We're either found by Jesus, or we're lost. Many watching and many in this room are, have been found. Some of you are still lost. If that's you, I'm so glad you're either watching or you're here. Because all you have to do is turn and call out. And the light of the world will invade your life. See, the light of the world makes his people radiant. We're to be brilliant. Look at verse 5. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exalt. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exhaust. 
exalt. If you who are Christians, if you really think about your reality, you have eternal life. The God who made heaven and earth loves you personally, knows you by name, knows every intimate detail of your life, actually delights over you, as the Bible says in Zephaniah. Our prayer should be that should thrill us. That should amaze us. That should cause us to delight and marvel in the Lord. And then things like evangelism and making disciples are not a chore that we feel like we have to do, but they're just a natural byproduct. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you I met. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you what it was like to live in darkness and then experience his light and love. See, the intention is it is to make us absolutely radiant. I'm not going to read it just for time's sake, but in Isaiah 5 through 7, there's, there's a number of details and a number of names. The big idea is that what Isaiah can see through the Holy Spirit as he writes those things is that there's going to be a mass of people being drawn from all over the world, every tongue, tribe, and nation to the light of the world. And one of the things he's going to use is his people as we radiate his light and his love. Let's have the band come up as I just finish out here. I'm going to read two more verses as they come up. When we spend regular time with the light of the world, we will increasingly radiate his love. I mean, every time one of us goes on vacation to a warm place, especially if we do it in cold months, most of us with the few of you who tan really well, we just come out sunburned immediately. <laughs> like we always forget and we say, if you're married, you might say to your wife, I don't, I don't need any sunblock, I'll be fine. Um, I tan well. And then you turn into this bright red beet for the first day. Well, why do you do that? Because you have been sitting in the sun and you've been enjoying the sun. Well, if we spend time with Jesus often and regularly, it will just be natural that you will radiate the Lord's light and love. Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him are radiant. Those who look to him, not those whose lives are easy, those lives who are free of difficulty. No, it's those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. See, as the world is hard and difficult and broken, as we're in this kind of winter surge again of COVID and, and people are just getting discouraged all over the place, we have an opportunity to reflect Christ's light and love. Listen to this last verse. Let's all stand while I read this last verse and then we're going to sing. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven.